You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Falado on Football, the week seven edition of this bad boy here. And it was, yet again, another wild week. Unfortunately, for us Giants fans and the people who cover the New York Giants, the week of football started in the worst way with a 22-21 loss, a loss that was suffered in such a devastating fashion, even for the New York Giants. I mean, we've been through this before as fans, especially throughout the history with the Eagles in particular. The miracle at the Meadowlands with Herm Edwards, the other miracle at the Meadowlands with Matt freaking Dodge kicking it to Deshaun Jackson, still in my head say, Kick it out of bounds, kick it out of bounds, kick it out of bounds. But now we have this meltdown on Thursday Night Football, a game where ESPN gave the Giants a 96% chance to win, yet the Giants still found a way to lose this affair. Want to know when I knew this game was shot for the Giants? Would you like to know that? The moment where I was like, oh no, here we go, not again, that moment was when B.J. Hill sacked Carson Wentz, but it was negated by an illegal contact penalty against Ryan Lewis. It's nuts. Crazy. Leaves me flabbergasted, too. Because if Lewis doesn't commit that foul, I honestly think the Giants win that game. It's a margin of error. So many little things had to happen to put the Giants into the position to where they were going to lose this football game. But at that moment, I was like, oh no, not again. Don't do this. But of course, we all know what happened. It was a second and 10, and Hill does an excellent job sacking Wentz to force a third and 15, but instead, the Eagles get a first down, and it takes Wentz three plays to drive down the field and score a touchdown. And yes, the Giants defense played 72 snaps in this football game, but the level of sloppy football is still really concerning to me. Undisciplined, really. Lewis committed two fouls towards the end of the game. Bradbury and Ryan had one. There was a too many men on the field penalty. Mondre Harper Got some yellow laundry thrown at him during that two-point conversion because he was acting immaturely, even though they didn't convert that two-point conversion. You still don't want to see that. Ballantyne lowered his helmet on that punt, resulted in a 15-yard penalty. And when the Giants lost the lead and they were on offense, Will Hernandez gets beat inside and gets called for a holding. That's all happening in the latter half of the fourth quarter. You cannot play that type of undisciplined football and expect to win games. You're in a very winnable division. And this team's just not getting it done whatsoever when they need to. It's undisciplined football. And bad teams find ways to lose, and that's what the Giants are. They're a bad football team. We should be talking about a 15-play, 97-yard drive that ate up 8 minutes of the clock where Daniel Jones had to do miracle spins in the pocket to evade and avoid, but instead we're talking about another loss. We should be discussing a pre-snap look that was confirmed by Jones on a 3rd and 7 with the game on the line and how Jones was able to put a very nice ball over the shoulder of Evan Ingram to seal a divisional game on the road. But instead, 
or talking about another loss. We should be talking about how the Giants just beat the Philadelphia Eagles. And Dallas just lost to the football team, which means the Giants are the number one seed in the NFC East. But instead, we're talking about another loss. The team has been competitive, but they're so frustrating. And there's talent on the roster. James Bradbury, Logan Ryan, Blake Martinez, a healthy Sterling Shepard. But there are just way too many players underperforming. Will Hernandez, Cameron Fleming, Andrew Thomas, all at key positions on the offensive line. Thomas was the fourth overall pick and looks worse than a day three selection. And I don't even think I'm being hyperbolic. The NFL caught on to his vulnerability protecting the inside. Didn't take him long. But he can't fix it yet, at least not consistently. He has to keep his inside leg planted and keep his balance when handling counter moves, inside counter moves, inside spins, anything like that. It's been such a liability. And you know what? Honestly, there were a few reps on the All-22 where he seemed to do that and it helped correct some of his flaws. He seemed to kind of keep that inside leg planted. But there were others where he still failed, completely failed. And if we're talking about players coming up small in big spots, we shall go no further than to look at number 88, Evan Ingram, man. (sighs) Had a drop that led to an interception and a drop that cost the Giants the game. It's evident that New York wants to get this player involved as much as possible. They just want to get the ball in his hands. He gets a few end-arounds a game, design throws to him. He had that one flare route with all the play-side wide receivers stalk-blocking to the side, almost sort of like a screen. And one thing he does do well is move in space when he has the ball in his hand. He can make people miss. He's strong, but he's just not a great route runner. He can't catch well at all. He can't run block, nor can he pass block. Seems like a nice guy. But he's been a huge liability and comes up small in way too many spots. And it's so frustrating to really have him on this Giants team. Because you know the potential could be sky high, but he hasn't even come close to scratching the surface. And he's only hurt the team this season. Which sucks to say. But any jag tight end, you put him into the spots that he's been in. If he was able to get open like Evan Ingram did, which, you know, you can't just automatically assume that, he makes these kinds of catches. Ingram doesn't. He drops them. I hoped that the 11 drops that he had in his rookie season was an anomaly. It doesn't seem to be. It doesn't. Especially with plays like the interception. Was that ball perfect? No. I think Daniel Jones anticipated a blitz there called it was throwing hot Evan Ingram still needs to catch that seems like he had a little bit of alligator arms possibly on it too not ideal and I thought Jones he left some plays on the field after watching the all 22 nothing egregious but most of them are when he's rolling out and fleeing from pressure there's somebody open but he just doesn't lock onto them but he also had some very nice throws where he was throwing with anticipation into open areas leading his receivers open things that you love to see from a second year quarterback and Jones may not be great But he's far from the problem here in New York. You can certainly win with a quarterback like Daniel Jones. It was also obvious how much this team missed Sterling Shepard, a player who can execute his routes precisely and on time. This was a very, very, very disappointing loss, though. And now they have an extended week before playing Tom Brady and 
the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Monday Night Football. A 43-year-old quarterback who just threw for 369 yards and four touchdowns while rushing for a touchdown on the road in Las Vegas. Not to mention that Giants offensive line needs to see Todd Bowles' defense. JPP gets to come back to MetLife. I'm not excited about any of those things. But that's week eight, though. So let's get into the rest of week seven. All right. (laughs) The Falcons, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, the Falcons falconed again in the most falcon way possible. The most falcon way against the most falcon-like team, if we're going to be honest, in the Lions, who were the Falcons before and during the Falcons. For those of you who aren't following, the Falcons are known for blowing leads and losing in the most creative ways. They make being a Giants fan seem tolerable in this losing environment. That's how difficult it is being an Atlanta Falcons fan. And the Lions last season were that. They blew so many leads, they couldn't close games out. Sort of like the Giants. But they were kind of like a Falcon-esque team. But now the Falcons just blew another lead in a very, very embarrassing fashion. Falcons lose 22-23 to at home when all they had to do was go down at the one-yard line, Todd Gurley, instead of falling into the end zone, and then Young Hoku could have kicked the field goal to win the football game. But instead, Todd Gurley runs into the end zone, giving the Detroit Lions an opportunity to drive down the field and win the game. Giants fans remember this with Ahmad Bradshaw in the Super Bowl. He didn't want to go in. He ended up going in, giving Tom Brady an opportunity to drive down the field. Luckily for us Giants fans, that did not happen. But Todd Gurley got the ball, broke a tackle, looked like he wanted to go down at the one-yard line, but the the ball crossed the plane. Just crossed the plane. No other way to say it. So then Atlanta goes up 22-16, to giving... Matt Stafford, the ball, with about a minute and four seconds left. Matt Stafford took him eight plays, 75 yards to find TJ Hawkinson in the end zone for a touchdown. And Matt Prater kicked the extra point, wins the game. Absolutely devastating loss for the Falcons, who are 1-6 with three terrible blown leads. Oof, makes me feel good about being a Giant fan. May even make Jet fans feel good about being a Jet fan. That's saying a lot. Matt Stafford in this game... Him and Matt Ryan are buddies. He threw for 340 with a tutty. Matt Ryan, 338 with a tutty. Gurley had 23 carries, 63 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, one being that one. And Julio Jones, 8 for 97. Calvin Ridley, 5 for 69 and 1. Russell Gage, 6 for 54. As for Detroit, Kenny Galladay was 6 for 114. Marvin Jones was 5 for 80. And TJ Hawkinson was 5 for 59 with a touchdown. Some big catches from TJ Hawkinson, Danny Amendola, and the one really big catch from Kenny Galladay that Atlanta thought was incomplete on that final drive. But oof, that is a terrible way to melt down right there. You do not want to see that. Not at all. But on to the next game, which is the New York Jets, who were rather competitive against the Buffalo Bills. The Bills were able to win this football game by kicking a bunch of field goals. They won 18-10 to in this affair, but Tyler Bass, their kicker, missed two field goals as well. Josh Allen and the offense were just inefficient. They couldn't get anything going in the red zone. He throws for over 307 yards, rushed for 61, had no touchdowns on the day. Sam Darnold had two picks, went 12 for 23 for 120 yards. 
Frank Gore and LaMichael P. Ryan seemed like they had some success on the ground. Gore averaged five and a half yards a carry, which is incredible. 11 carries for 60 yards. He was kind of busting them off against the Buffalo Bills. Got to see Denzel Mims out on the field. He was four for 42. But the Jets just aren't a good football team. They dropped to 0-7. Buffalo goes to 5-2. They were competitive in this game going into half. The Jets seemed like they had their ducks in a row. They were able to score initially. At halftime, they were up 10-9 on Buffalo. Actually, it was 10-6. And then after Buffalo's 9-play, 19-yard drive. Yes, you heard that correctly. 9-play, 19-yard drive. After a good kickoff return by Andre Roberts, Buffalo was able to get one of their many field goals, one of their six converted field goals, eight attempts. Incredible. But the Bills get the W. And then we have the Cincinnati Bengals taking on the Cleveland Browns in a very, very entertaining game where there were just so many lead changes with Joe Burrow and Baker Mayfield going back and forth, which is one thing that's very unfortunate. Brashad Perriman, I should mention, suffered an injury in the game against the Jets. It was a really, really big hit by Micah Hyde along the sidelines, and it seems like it's going to be a head injury for Brashad Perriman. But another big injury is Odell Beckham Jr., who left this game in the first quarter. Seemed like he had some sort of serious knee injury. MRIs will take place tomorrow. We're hoping that it's nothing serious for Odell Beckham Jr., but it did not look good for the player. And his team was able to get this win, but that is a devastating loss for the Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield in this game threw for five touchdowns, though. Had an interception, 297 yards passing, 22 of 28. Very good stats. Joe Burrow, just as impressive. 35 for 47 for 406 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. And it was just back and forth, one of the most entertaining games of the slate. Joe Burrow was able to find T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, who had one heck of a game, Giovanni Bernard, four touchdowns. As for Baker Mayfield, Harrison Bryant, rookie tight end at FAU, had two touchdowns. Donovan Peoples-Jones, rookie wide receiver at Michigan, had a touchdown. Kareem Hunt and David Njoku both had touchdowns as well. And it was just lead change after lead change after lead change. You got to give Joe Burrow a lot of credit. If there was more time in this game, I'd imagine that the Cincinnati Bengals would be able to move the football against this Cleveland Brown defense and score to win this football game. But the second half was literally just littered with points. There was a punt. There wasn't a turnover. The Browns scored a touchdown. Then the Bengals kicked a field goal. Then the Browns scored a touchdown. Then the Bengals scored a touchdown. Then the Browns scored a touchdown. Then the Bengals scored a touchdown. Then the Browns scored a touchdown. And then it was the end of the game. So it was rather incredible, to be honest, between these two teams going back and forth. And again, we hope Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be okay. And there are some other injuries. I guess I'll just go into them right now. Landon Collins, another former giant of the Washington football team, seemed to have suffered a season-ending Achilles injury, which is obviously terrible we send our best wishes to him hopefully it's not that serious but it doesn't look good as of right now Montez Sweat same team the Washington football team that is he was being evaluated for a concussion as was some of the other players like Andy Dalton who got his head taken off by John Bostic which was a terrible hit which brought Ben DiNucci undrafted kid out of JMU James Madison University FCS school he had to play a significant snaps for the Cowboys because Andy Dalton got knocked out of the game by John Bostic. Deontay Johnson seemed to have suffered a lowered leg injury. Doesn't seem to be serious. Plans on playing. Jadavian Clowney and Christian Fulton. Cornerback Christian Fulton, Jadavian Clowney, edge rusher, both of the Tennessee Titans, left their games with knee injuries. We don't know the severity of that quite yet. 
So every week there's a lot of these kind of injuries that end up happening. Keneal Harry had a head injury in this game as well. Philip Lindsay suffered a concussion in their game against the Chiefs. So we're hoping that these guys are going to be okay. Jeff Wilson seemed like he suffered a really bad ankle injury. Los Angeles Chargers tight end Virgil Green also, after catching a touchdown from Justin Herbert, suffered an ankle injury. So those are just some of the notable injuries around the National Football League today. And we uh, hope all those guys get better. But before we continue with the rest of these matchups, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. And we have the Dallas Cowboys traveling to the Washington football team's stadium, FedEx Field in Washington, D.C., and they just could not get anything going whatsoever. Washington's defense was all over that Cowboys offensive line. That's pretty beat up. They had six sacks, Washington did, and the offense for Dallas had 142 yards, barely possessed the football. It was a good drive by Washington the entire game really just handing the ball off to Antonio Gibson to Peyton Barber to JD McKissick and then using Terry McLaurin's excellent skill set to hit deep attack the intermediate use him in screens McLaurin finished the game with seven catches for 90 yards and a touchdown and Washington just bullied Dallas Dallas was on a short week they played on Monday night football and Washington was able to get 397 yards of offense on them while holding Dallas to 142. It was a beatdown. Ezekiel Elliott only had 45 yards on the ground. He had 12 carries in this game. Like I said, Andy Dalton was knocked out of it. Ben DiNucci came in, had one really nice pass to Amari Cooper, who finished this game 7 of 80 on 7 targets. So he caught all 7 of his targets from these two quarterbacks. There was nothing from CeeDee Lamb. There was nothing from Michael Gallup. Dalton Schultz had two for 22 on four targets. This division is so wide open right now. It's incredible. And it makes it even worse that the Giants blew games against Dallas and Philadelphia, really, if you think about it. But give kudos to Washington. Kyle Allen threw for two touchdowns, had 194 yards to the air, modest 11 yards on the ground. Antonio Gibson had 20 carries in this game. Do love to see that, for sure. But then J.D. McKissick had 5, and Peyton Barber had 10. Like I said before, it was a heavy dose of running the football to defeat the Dallas Cowboys. And you can do that because Mike Nolan and that defense is terrible. They just cannot figure it out. They're always out of position. They lack gap integrity. There's whispers in the locker room about how upset a lot of the players are with this coaching staff things that you just do not want to hear things I'm glad that we're not hearing from the New York Giants this is a new coaching staff too with Mike McCarthy and those players are not happy with the current state of the team and as a fan of the Giants I'm just not happy with the current state of the NFC East and the fact that the Giants aren't on top of it but let's move on to the Panthers and the Saints New Orleans able to get a win against the Carolina Panthers, Teddy Bridgewater goes back to his former home, throws for 254 yards, two touchdowns, both to DJ Moore, some player who just seems to have the Saints number. Last season, he had two great games against the Saints. This year, he's four for 93 on five targets with two touchdowns. Curtis Samuel had a touchdown on the ground. Vultured Mike Davis. Don't like to see that. Maybe you have Mike Davis on your team, for sure. As for Alvin Kamara, on the flip side, 14 carries, 83 yards, eight catches, 65 yards, didn't get into the end zone. But had those eight targets. Drew Brees threw for 287 yards. Struck Pater twice. Once with Jared Cook. Once with Deontay Harris. Marquez Callaway 
was the lead target for the Saints. 10 targets, 8 catches for 75 yards without Michael Thomas there, who may miss next week now after suffering another injury to his lower body. Definitely not good for Michael Thomas. We'll have to see what happens there. Manuel Sanders also out in this game, put on the COVID list. So that's incredibly unfortunate. But Teddy Bridgewater, you got to give it to him. He battled in this game against a good football team. But the Saints were just too good to overcome. So with a lot of scoring early on in the second half, the defense has kind of buckled down a little bit to shut both of the offenses out. But Carolina falls to 3-4. and four. The Saints go up to 4-2 and two as they and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers look to kind of dominate that division since they share it with the Atlanta Falcons, a team that, you know, has not had it all going on by any stretch of the imagination. I'm watching the Sunday night football game right now, and Russell Wilson just threw an interception that Buda Baker took all the way back to the three-yard line, but DK Metcalf chased him down. That guy is a freak athlete. I just wanted to say that. Let's move on to the next game. The Green Bay Packers going to Houston and dominating Houston, 35-20. to 20. This was just the run-the-offense through Devontae Adams type of show. Adams had 16 targets in this game. Aaron Jones was ruled out of this game, so it was the Jamal Williams show on the ground, but it was all about Devontae Adams. Houston had no response for him. Houston drops to 1-6 now, which is intriguing because they don't have their first-round pick. Their first-round pick is with the Miami Dolphins. So if you're a Miami Dolphins fan, you're probably very, very happy at the fact that you own probably a top five pick that won't be because your team is inept. Very, very interesting. But Devontae Adams had 13 catches for 196 yards and two touchdowns on those 16 targets. And other than that, Jamal Williams had five targets. Robert Tanyan had two targets. No one else really had that many targets. Marquez Valdez-Scantlin had his four targets with zero catches because that's just what he does. He did have a carry, though, so he got you 0.9 points in fantasy leagues. Ah, that's amazing. But Aaron Rodgers, man, four touchdowns, 283 yards. Sean Watson, 309 yards, two touchdowns in this game. But it was Green Bay. Came in here. They were embarrassed last week by Tampa Bay, and they were just going to beat up on a worse team in the Houston Texans. David Johnson was able to secure a touchdown reception, as was Will Fuller in garbage time. And... This is just kind of what you expect when a better team, a team that I feel like has its own struggles and isn't in the upper echelon of teams in the Green Bay Packers, but is still a much better football team than the Houston Texans, goes to a place like the Texans. Now, we've seen Deshaun Watson cook a little bit for the last couple weeks since Bill O'Brien has been fired, and I'm sure he'll be able to cook the next two games. He has traveled to Jacksonville, and he gets at the Browns. So both those games, he should have plenty of fantasy points. He had a solid fantasy game in this game as well, mainly through Randall Cobb and Brendan Cooks. I expect Will Fuller to kind of have a bigger role. He didn't have that necessarily despite catching that touchdown in this game, but it was all Green Bay. All Green Bay from the start, and Aaron Jones should be back next week if you're an Aaron Jones owner in terms of fantasy football. But if you plugged Jamal Williams into your lineup, you were happy because he had a really solid game. And it's funny, too, because when you look at the splits of the stats, Houston had the ball more than Green Bay. They just weren't nearly as efficient. So let's go on to the Jaguars against the Chargers, where Justin Herbert blew up for three touchdowns, added one on the ground as well, so four total, 347 yards passing, just spreading the ball out to Josh Kelly, to Justin Jackson, to, obviously, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, who had his 13 targets. Hunter Henry had seven. Justin Jackson had six. Virgil Green had two with the touchdown where he got hurt on. Then you also had players like 
Jalen Guyton having three targets, two for 84 and a touchdown. That's kind of been his role with this team. Justin Herbert seems like the real deal. The Chargers were able to roll over Jacksonville, but this was a pretty competitive game. Chargers are 2-4 and four now. Jaguars are 1-6. Score was 39-29, to 29, but this was a fairly competitive game. Up until, I guess you could say, the third quarter when Justin Herbert just kind of flipped a switch towards the end of the quarter, rushed for a touchdown, threw for another one. Then they added a field goal in the fourth quarter, but Jacksonville was able to kind of keep their head above water for most of the game, and then they ended up floundering. There's something wrong with the passing attack there. You could tell DJ Chark is just ripping his hair out playing with someone like Gardner Minshew. Minshew is missing players. He doesn't look that great. We might see a quarterback change if I'm going to be real. I think that could actually realistically happen. Chark had seven targets in this game. He caught one for 26. He also dropped an easy one too. But he's getting targeted more than anybody. And he's just not doing anything with it despite the fact that he's talented. Him and Gardner Minshew are just not on the same page. But James Robinson, now he's a player. He's undrafted rookie who's just been playing out of his mind. James Robinson, 22 carries for 119 yards and a touchdown. Also had six targets, caught four of them for 18 and a touchdown. But Minshew, I'm not sure how much longer he's going to hold this starting job. They got Mike Glennon back there. They have another like undrafted kid that they somewhat like. It might be the Mike Glennon show, which would be gross, disgusting, but also funny at the same time. But Minshew in this game, 14 of 27 for 173 yards and two tutties. No picks, just missing some throws and leaves some plays on the field. Then we have the 49ers and the Patriots, and wow, all I got to say is New England has not looked this bad in consecutive weeks for some time. This is the second worst beatdown, I believe, that Bill Belichick has ever suffered at home as a New England Patriots head coach. Cam Newton threw for 98 yards through three interceptions, looked terrible. The receiving options looked terrible. Julian Edelman looks very, very injured. He had three targets, caught one of them for 13. Just looked old and beat up. They had to bring in Jarrett Stidham in this game, who threw a pick, which is seems like something Jarrett Stidham does whenever he comes into the game. New England needs to right this ship, but they don't have a lot of skill position players. I barely saw any James White. I don't know if he got injured. He was only out there for one target, had one catch for three yards. They were using a lot of Rex Burkhead in that area. They were using Damian Harris even in that area a little bit. But my, this was eye-opening for New England, who dropped the 2-4, and four. San Francisco 4-3 four four and three after winning the last two games, but remember when they lost to the Eagles on Saturday Night Football? <laughs> but they got Garoppolo back here, he looked fine in the game, I guess you could say, stats didn't really bear it out, missed a throw to Ayuk, I- which I feel like could have been the touchdown, but he was 20-25, of 25, hyper-efficient, 277 yards, zero touchdowns, but then he had two picks too. Not ideal in that department. San Francisco wins this game 33-6. Jeff Wilson had three touchdowns on the ground. Kyle Juszczyk had a touchdown on the ground. Jeff Wilson ends up getting hurt towards the end of this game. Then they put Jermichael Hasty in. He was also getting snaps. Barely used Jarek McKinnon, which was odd. Probably felt like they didn't need him, didn't want to put him in harm's way. Jeff Wilson, somebody who ended up getting hurt because of just running into the end zone, really. Unfortunate. Debo Samuel was getting carries as well. He had three for seven. He also had five targets, called all five for 65 yards. Brennan Ayuk, seven targets, six catches for 115. George Kittle, five for 55 as well. It was a beatdown by the 49ers. And the New England Patriots in this division, where they have the Bills, who just got a win against the Jets, even though the Jets were competitive, 
start to wonder what's going on there. And after the game, Bill Belichick came out and he reassured that this is Cam Newton's team. So you want to hear that, obviously. That's great to hear. But there's something wrong with this offense and they need to figure it out. And I trust that Josh McDaniels will eventually figure it out. But if you own someone like Julian Edelman, I mean, you can't start him in fantasy. He's droppable at this point, which is very unfortunate because you know he'll probably get right eventually. Then we had the Buccaneers going to the Raiders and absolutely blowing them out 45-20. to 20. Buccaneers go to 5-2. and two. The Raiders are 3-3. Three and three. And again, like I said before, Tom Brady threw for 369 yards and four touchdowns and rushed for a touchdown. Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones split the work here. Leonard Fournette looked a lot better than Ronald Jones did. He was 11 for 50. Ronald Jones was 13 for 34. But Ronald Jones ended up getting a touchdown in this game. And Brady was just opening this game, you know? Just touchdown for you, touchdown for you, touchdown for you. Tyler Johnson got a touchdown. We don't know how many more of those he's going to get. He scored one last week. But now that they're bringing in Antonio Brown, who won't play in week eight, but Tyler Johnson's role is going to diminish as that fourth receiver behind Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and Scotty Miller. Chris Godwin, Scotty Miller, and Rob Gronkowski caught those other touchdowns. Scotty Miller had nine targets on this game, in this game, six for 109. Mike Evans only had two targets. He caught two, both of them for 37 yards. So he wasn't an integral part of the game plan for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they hung 45 on the Raiders. And yes, the Raiders aren't that great. Their defense isn't something that you are scared of, especially not without Jonathan Abram. But they're still a team that was over 500. And you went into their house and you dropped 45 on them. And you held them to 20. The first half, you only held them to 10. Second half, you held them to 10. Couldn't really get anything going in Las Vegas. And it's funny, too, because the opening drive for Derek Carr, he found Nelson Aguilar in the touchdown. He thought it was going to spark this really high-scoring affair for the Raiders, but the Raiders only ended up scoring one more touchdown after that. Not exactly great. As for those Raiders receivers, Nelson Aguilar, nine targets. Darren Waller, nine targets. Aguilar, five for 107 and one. Darren Waller, six for 50 and one. Hunter Renfro had six targets, four for 42. And Henry Ruggs only caught two of his three targets, for 35 yards, only for 35 yards. And Josh Jacobs only had those 10 carries, 17 yards on him. It's tough with that Tampa Bay defense. And the Giants are going to learn that real quick next week in week eight, Monday Night Football, where the entire world can watch it. That's frustrating. Josh Jacobs, in these negative game scripts, he just kind of falls off. If you look at his two really positive games in fantasy football, were both positive game scripts against Kansas City in week one at Carolina where he had three touchdowns. But when they start getting behind, and if it's not competitive, you're going to see more Devontae Booker. You're going to see more Jalen Rashard, players like that. And Man, John Gruden really showed some, some gumption, though, early on in this game. He showed uh, a lot of confidence in his team. Went for it at special teams in his own half of the field with a fake punt to Jeff Heath, where Jeff Heath ran for a yard and picked it up. And I was like, wow, okay. This was like the first, maybe second quarter of the game. You like seeing that kind of aggression from a coach sometimes. But it wasn't enough for the Las Vegas Raiders as they dropped to 3-3. Three and three. Then we have the Kansas City Chiefs. Last game we'll go over because the Sunday Night Football game is going on right now. Absolutely blowing out the Denver Broncos. 43-16. Chiefs go to 6-1. Denver is 2-4. Drew Locke did not look good in this game. This game started off to lay the scene with snow, with wind, gross conditions, around 20 degrees. Locke finishes the game throwing the ball 40 times. Completed 24 of them. 
254 yards, two touchdowns. Pat Mahomes didn't have to do all that much. He had one touchdown through the air. He could have two. Clyde Edwards-Alaire dropped one. That touchdown was to Tyreek Hill. And Chad Henney ended up coming in in the fourth quarter to clean up. Chad Henney actually had a rushing touchdown during that, and I thought that was hilarious. But the Kansas City offense really didn't have to do all that much because they had a kick return by Byron Pringle for a touchdown, and they had a pick six by Daniel Sorensen for a touchdown. So the offense of the Chiefs really didn't have to do all that much, even though Clyde Edwards-Alaire got his first touchdown since week one, which is saying something because he's had a touchdown called back, it seems like, every week. It hasn't been every week, but it's been multiple weeks. And in this game, he had eight for 46 in that one touchdown with a 27-yard long, and Le'Veon Bell had six for 39. And as for receiving, Bell did not have a catch, but DeAndre Washington did from Chad Henney. Clyde Edwards-Alaire did have a catch, and he also had what would have been a touchdown catch hit him in the chest, and he dropped it. Travis Kelsey, modest game, 3 for 31. Tyreek Hill actually had 10 targets, something that he has not done. I don't think he's ever had more than 6 targets this season. He had 10, 6 for 55. Nicole Hardman had 2 targets, caught them both for 57 yards. We all know how Nicole Hardman is as a player. He can break it off very, very easily. As for the Denver Broncos, Noah Fan had 7 targets, caught 3 for 38. And you look at the Broncos, they spread the ball around. Albert O had 7. Tim Patrick had 4. Noah Fant had 7. Deshaun Hamilton had three, KJ Hamler had three, Nick Vanette had three, Jerry Judy had four, Melvin Gordon had four, Royce Freeman had two, and Tyree Cleveland had one. So they really spread the ball out. They were throwing most of the game. That's why Kansas City jumped up early in this game. They were up 24-9 at halftime, and Locke didn't necessarily look all that great. I'm imagining he's going to stabilize eventually. The schedule will hopefully lighten up for him, and I think I believe in Pat Shermer's skill set. I think Pat Shermer will be able to kind of settle him down, simplify the offense. Next week, they get to host the Chargers, and then they're at the Falcons, and then at the Raiders, and then versus the Dolphins, and then versus the Saints, and then at the Chiefs again. So the next couple games should be relatively easy-er, I guess you could say, for Drew Locke and company. But this game just wasn't it. We'll see if Philip Lindsay can come back from his concussion woes. He just got back, just got healthy. Melvin Gordon with that DUI, we're not really 100% sure when the NFL may come out and suspend him and he could get in trouble for getting that DUI. Something that could happen too. Alrighty guys, hopefully you guys enjoyed this. Please rate, subscribe, and review this podcast and have a lovely day. Hopefully you guys are winning your fantasy matchups and please take care of yourselves. Bye. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.